And this is the Gospel of our Lord. I thought I would be a millionaire. Those are actually not my words. I have thought of that many times. just hasn't come true yet. But those are the words from Am Adu Jalo, a man who lived in Africa and yet recognized there was nothing for him there at all. His homeland offered him nothing. And so he decided that he would take off to go to Europe to find all the riches that he had heard about for so many years. You can see him there in his hut with his bicycle, his hut made of plastic and other items. This was in an article in the New York Times this past week about not only Amadou, but about ten to 20,000 people who have left Africa to go to Europe, only to find that there is nothing at all waiting for them there. What they find is squalor. As I was reading through the magazine article, there were things, uh, I'm sorry, the newspaper article, there were things that he had mentioned that stood out to me. It says, everywhere in his neighborhood in Saracunda, Gambia, uh, which uh, Saracunda is Gambia's largest city, there was talk of easy money to be made in Europe. He says, now he laughs bitterly about all that talk. He lives in a patch of woods where in southern Spain uh, there is just very little for him to eat or to do just outside of Palos de la Frontera, and there are hundreds of other immigrants who live there as well. They've built their homes out of plastic sheeting and cardboard, unsure if the water they drink from an open pipe is even safe. After six years on the continent, Mr. Jallo's is rail thin, and his eyes have a yellow tinge. These days, Mr. Jallo survives on two meals a day, mostly a leaden paste made from flour and oil, that he puts on a pan and heats up and stirs with a tree branch. And so this is the way that he lives, he and so many others. This life that they were chasing just turned out to not be at all what they were looking for. And he longs for his homeland, realizing he can never go back. But as he thinks about it, he thinks about the land that he left that really offered to him everything that he really needed. So I read about this story. I was reading it with these same texts that we've heard here today from Psalm 66 and from Acts chapter 17, as well as John. And so as I was reading those texts and this story, it all kind of came together to remind me of how it is that we chase after things in life. How Amadou's story is really a narrative for our own lives. And that we are seeking, we are chasing, we are looking for a kind of existence that is beyond what we have been able to find in our own homeland. And we think that the grass is truly greener in the other pasture, and so we do everything we can. We spare no expense to go out and to find a better existence than we have right now. But what we find is much like Amadou found in terms of there is no grass that's any greener than what we have right here. As we looked at in our gospel text last week, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or, I am the way that is truth and is life. And if you want to get to a better existence, if you want to get to the Father, then you will come through me. What a great proclamation Jesus made. And so as we've gone throughout this past week, chances are we've forgotten that statement a little bit and we've tried to find our way in different ways. But our text 
remind us where it is that we find our real existence and that we find our real God. If you read back and if you look, I don't have it printed in the bulletin, but if you look in your Bible, you can find in Psalm 66, 18, this aspect of uh, someone crying out for God. The psalmist is, is saying all these great things about how God was there for him. But in the midst of all that, in the development of this idea, you get an idea that there is this cosmic deity that is really far from all that he has made. And the way that you get the, this cosmic deity's attention is that you go and you get a ram or you get a goat or you get some kind of an animal or something from your crops and you sacrifice it on an altar somewhere. Because you've learned throughout your religion and watching other religions that this is something that God likes. And if you can do this for God, you'll get a better crop. You'll get uh, uh, maybe a better spouse. Now, none of, you, none of you try to go home and burn anything um, to work that out. But, but you might get something better if you appease God. So there's a very mechanistic idea of God here. Now, it's a developing idea. And there's something within theology called progressive revelation, that, that God is revealing Himself more and more, or that humankind is understanding who God is more and more as time develops. But here, we see the psalmist rejoicing. And he's talking about his tongue giving praise to God and calling everybody else to, to praise God and remembering how God was there for them in the exodus from Egypt and into the promised land. And so there's this recounting of God, yet he keeps going back and forth to this understanding that if I want God to do things for me, I've got to do things for Him. I've got to push a lever, so to speak, for God to be able to take interest in me and in what I'm doing. And so this is the distant deity. Now, I don't really like that picture there. I suppose you don't either. I like the one that uh, was just before it there. And, uh, but we also see as we continue to look, and as you heard this morning, in Acts chapter 17, the reading that is there of Paul, who is going into Athens. Paul really had not planned to go to Athens, and several things had developed in his life to where he was there. And as he was there, he could not help himself from speaking about Jesus. He is so uh, excited about the resurrected Jesus. He is so excited about the things that he has learned and understood from the, uh, from the other apostles and the followers of Jesus. He's taken all of this in, and everywhere he goes, he is talking about Jesus and, and how he is not dead, but how he is alive. And so he steps into Athens, and you know, Athens is pretty stuffy. All of these philosophers, and uh, as Luke mentions here in, in this text, that you've got the uh, Stoics and the Epicureans. And of course, the, uh, the Stoics are those who think life is just harsh, and you just get through it, and and uh, there's a lot more to that philosophy than we have time to talk about uh, this morning. But you understand that word. If you say someone is stoic, well, these are the guys who started all that for us. And there is that understanding of you're just kind of getting through life. Whatever life gives you, you just take and you keep going. And then there are the Epicureans. And, and the idea that uh, we just need to taste everything, drink everything, live life to its full, because this is really all we've got. There is an understanding of God, but it's a God you really can't know. It's a, a God who created everything and just kind of left it the way it is. and Kind of a deistic view of God and you just, He just moved away from it all. So there's really no use in trying to interact with God. You just kind of live your life and enjoy everything that comes your way. Paul walks into these two philosophies as well as other philosophies 
that are there and they are beginning to influence those in the synagogue. But they're also influencing the, the Gentile population, those that are referred to as the, the God-fearing Gentiles. So Paul's dealing with it within his own group, but here he is walking into the Areopagus, and he is there surrounded. You can get a picture of it here uh, in front of all these philosophers. And as they are there, they have lofty thoughts about the universe and existence and what it means to live. And so Paul addresses them with several comments. And if you look here in your bulletin, or if you look in your scripture, you, you see this beautiful argument that Paul is making. It is so compelling as he is taking this idea of, of how God is a known God. There is this temple to an unknown God. Paul, you know, he, he's walking through town. He sees all of this idolatry. He sees all of this stuff that is lining the streets of Athens realizing that these people are worshiping everything but God. And yet he looks at this temple that has this description to an unknown God. And that does it for Paul. <laughs> Paul begins to point to the fact that there is a known God. A God who is not so far away. In fact, if you look there, one of the quotes says, From one ancestor He made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And He allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him. Though indeed He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Wow! I would have loved to have been there to hear these words come out of Paul's mouth. And, and to see the Athenians there, especially these philosophers, begin to chew on this a little bit, begin to, to let it sink in. And some of them made fun of Paul, by the way. They said he's a babbler. And Paul, from what I understand, pretty much was a babbler. And uh, as they are hearing him talk about the resurrec resurrection, some of them made fun of that. But Luke notes some of them didn't. Some of them paid close attention and wanted to continue to dialogue with what Paul was saying about the resurrection. And so here there is a known God. He's not a distant deity. He is a known God. And in this God, they could find their existence and their life and their real being. And then we get to the words of John. Uh, I mean, the words of Jesus as described here in the Gospel of John. And this is what I would call not a distant deity, but a deep down inside kind of deity. Jesus is describing His relationship with God. This is the, the rest of that passage we were looking at last week. John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He goes on here in verse 15, and He mentions these words. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get to in two weeks with Pentecost. But He says, on that day, on the day that the Spirit comes, on the day of Pentecost, you will know that I am in my Father. So here is Jesus talking about His relationship with God the Father. On that day, as the Advocate, as the Counselor, the Holy Spirit comes, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in Me, and I am in you. What a profound statement. What a great description of the kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And that Jesus had with His disciples, and that His disciples could now have with Him and with God. Do you see the union that Jesus is describing here? This is the way Jesus lived His life. 
He had all kinds of things, all kinds of pressures, all kinds of challenges before him. He was a busy guy. In the midst of all that, he never forgot this sacred union, this mystical kind of union. And I I think this picture kind of describes it the best, uh, this painting here. And you get the idea of the the Trinity. Uh, There's a lot of uh, symbolism that's here, the two natures of Christ, uh, fully God, fully human. And you see the, uh, the sphere here and this aspect of Jesus describing his relationship with God. But more than that, the description that his disciples could have with God as well. This is a God who is not distant and far off, but a God who is right there in their own homeland. This past Friday night, we went to see uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a very religious movie. <laughs> well, okay, there's a little bit of religion in there. In that, uh, in this, I think this is the fourth one. We have seen them all, and uh, they just keep getting better and better. Uh, in this particular one, uh, Jack Sparrow, of course, is back. And uh, there is this great hunt for the Fountain of Youth. By the way, how many of you have seen, that, seen this? So I'll know how many to spoil. Okay, these are the ones who are really important here today because they've seen, they've seen a very artsy and high culture film. <clears throat> but in this particular movie, there is a search for the Fountain of Youth, uh, you know, via Ponce de Leon. And they are all trying to find it. And it begins with the uh, Spanish who are understanding that it exists and they, they have a map. They're trying to get to where it is. And so they take off to go to find it. And then there are the English who decide that, that they are going to get to it first. And so they've commissioned Barbosa to uh, lead this group out to find it. And the Spaniards are out doing the same thing. Then you have a third group trying to find it, the good old pirates. Jack Sparrow and others who are out, who are out to, uh, to get it uh, via Blackbeard and his ship as they're on their way to find the Fountain of Youth. And they do find the Fountain of Youth. All these kingdoms spare no expense to get their hands on the two chalices that they would need to drink from that fountain to be able to give them life, eternal life. Now not to spoil the whole thing completely, but they do find it. And as they get to it, as they get their hands on the chalices, there's a very important part of the movie where the Spanish come in and uh, the guy leading their charge takes the two chalices and stomps on them and throws them off into the water and proclaims that eternal life comes only through the church. And we would understand from that only through Christ. There's a lot of other different angles there in the movie. But as I thought about that, I thought it really, it it speaks to us out of history, it speaks to us out of our culture, our literature, in every particular way. We are people just like they were, looking for real existence, looking for real life. The fountain of life that will give us everything that we're longing for today. We can identify with this movie, can't we? We can identify with the pursuit of happiness. We can identify with the texts that we've heard today. We're looking for God. We may think that we're looking for a better life or better things in life, but really that craving deep down inside of us is for God. And so maybe we are like those who are thinking in terms of a distant deity. Maybe that's the way you respond to God today. I mean, maybe you came to church today because you think God would like you better if you came to church. Now, I like you better because you came here. But I don't think God's impressed. I mean, God loves you. 
whether you go to church or not. Now, please come back next Sunday. But if you came here today to make God feel better about you, it didn't work. God already feels better about you. To the extent that He sent His Son into this world to live and to die for you. So you don't have to push any levers. It's not about what kind of sacrifices you make. It's not about the kinds of things that you can go out and do for God, even though it's good to do things for God. But if you're doing it so that God will come near to you, you're missing the whole point. You're getting it all wrong. But maybe you're like the Athenians in that you celebrate an unknown God. If Paul were to walk into your life, he'd point to all the idols and all the religious things and all the things that make up your life, and he would go, wow, you guys have missed it. You think you're really smart, but you've missed the fact that God has broken through time and eternity and even through sin to speak to you and to reveal His very presence to you. And so, what would He see in your life? What does God see in your life? How many temples to unknown gods are there? And what Paul said to them, he says to us, in Him we find our being. We live and we move, and we find real existence. And as, as Paul says, He is not far from us. Jesus drills deeper into that. In fact, Paul's picking up from Jesus. But as we hear these words of Jesus about being one with the Father and how the Father is in Him and the Father is in them if they are in Christ, that's a great description of how God relates to you. That's how near... God comes to you. That is your homeland. That is my homeland. We talked about the dwelling places that, that Jesus was preparing for us. Well, that's it. You are the dwelling place of God. And through Pentecost, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, God comes to inhabit you as His new dwelling place, as His temple. Now, what does that look like in your life? Assuming that most of you have... Uh, invited Jesus to come into your life as your Lord and your Savior, that you have allowed the Spirit to come into your life. What kinds of things are going on there? What, kinds of, uh, of, what kind of development is happening in your life in this union with God? Are you pulling away from the union? Or are you going deeper? Are you living and moving in some other being and existence rather than living and moving in the existence that God has created for you? God wants us to rest in the union that He has provided for us. What a way to live. But I'm recognizing this morning that we don't always do that. G. Campbell Morgan sums up Paul's message and I think the, the gospel passage we've heard as well. He says, if you really want to find God, do not degrade yourselves in erecting images of gold and silver. Listen to the deepest fact of your own being. Be silent in the presence of the mystery of what you are. And then look out beyond to that unknown God whom I declare to you. There is that mystery of what you are. The mystery of God in you. Well, it's amazing to think of, of what God has done for us that we could know Him. That we would no longer have to answer that question, God, where are you? Or God, where are you going? You are right here with me. 
There was another phrase that came from Amadou Jallo when the reporter asked him about going home. And he said, I would prefer to die right here. I cannot go home empty-handed. If I went home, they would be saying, what have you been doing with yourself, Amadou? He couldn't go home. Not so with you and with me. We can go home. You can return to that part of you that God has made that is eternal. That part of you that is conscious of God's love and grace and mercy. Remembering the words of Paul that God is not far from each of us. Let's pray. God, we recognize Your presence with us here this morning. We have 